Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read all the way through to verse 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit by faith, uh, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray and we'll continue on. Father, I just ask that you would give clarity through your word. Help us to see our freedom in you and that we can rejoice in it and we can be joyful in it. And Lord, help us also to be guarded, to have boundaries, to have healthy things in place that will allow us to shine brightly the light of freedom without abusing it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in Galatia, and by the way, historically, Galatia is not a town, it's a region, it's a region of many towns. Galatia's an area that Paul has preached to before. He's been there, he's preached through it, that's why he says, hey, you guys were doing well, what's going on? Why did you fall away? And there were Jews that were coming in behind Paul. We refer to them regularly as Judaizers. They were very threatened by this message of freedom. They were very threatened by Jesus and the gospel. And so they came in behind Paul in Galatia, and they began to add things in. They were threatened by Paul in this preaching. And so they came into Galatia, and pretty much everywhere that Paul went, and they went and told the people that they had to do some other things besides believe Jesus. 
They had to keep the law. They had to keep ceremonies. They had to keep the rituals. They had to get circumcised. Follow the Jewish traditions. Hang on to that legalistic conformity or else they would be displeasing to God. And Paul actually mentions it to them earlier in the letter. If you look at chapter 2 and you look at verses 3 through 5, you don't necessarily have to turn there. But he, he, he mentions them. He talks about them. He, he, he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. The opposite of freedom is slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. It's all Jesus. So, do you see what it says sort of in the middle of the verse there? It says the freedom in Christ. We, we are free in Christ. And we are not to be brought back into this bondage. We are free. Over in chapter 4, just before this text that we're reading today, Paul draws on the story of Ishmael and Isaac. Now, I don't have time to go into that. That's a whole other sermon, okay? I don't have time to go into that today. But basically, Paul is saying that we are a people who are brought into freedom through salvation. And then he states that opening statement we just read. So he, 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 he talks in chapter 4 about, hey, you're born into freedom. You're chosen by God. You are free. You are not a slave. And then he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So I want to focus here really on the first two verses and verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This is verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What a wonderful and affirming truth that is, that we are free in Christ. We are free. Who we are in Christ, we are to enjoy freedom. We are free. John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 8, He says, so, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, so these are Jews that have now become Christians. They believed Jesus as the Messiah. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And again, in verse 36, in that same uh, chapter in, in John, he says, and if the Son shall make you free, you shall be truly free reiterating hey jesus has all power he has all authority he is truly truly god so we are free have we established that that we are free in christ we've got a good introduction now everybody understands that we're free in christ let's just drive it home one more time how about that romans chapter 6 verses 6 to 8 we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, that's a wonderful thing. We are free in Christ. We have freedoms. How do we enjoy Christian freedom without abusing it? How do we enjoy Christian freedom without abusing it? How do we contain our Christian freedom within acceptable limitations without becoming legalists? These are tough questions. These are hard avenues to walk down. So that when we say we're free in Christ, we don't just run amok in terms of unholiness and unrighteousness. We can't just claim freedom in Christ and run around and do whatever we want. Contradict the word of God. So how, I ask, do we enjoy Christian freedom without abusing it? Well, that's what Paul's going to deal with today. And he shares with us three things that, 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 that jump out of the text at us. So he's very concerned with having announced this freedom to the people of Galatia. He, he's he's got to be a little bit concerned that they may take advantage of the freedoms of Christ. And so he says to them these things. He wants people to understand what the freedom means and not how the freedom is controlled. What does the freedom mean? And then we'll see how the freedom is controlled. Freedom is a wonderful thing, and the implications are far-reaching. As I said before, you don't see caravans of immigrants shooting off to China and Iran. They're coming to a free nation, a place that is a beacon of freedom. And so should the church be for the dark world. There should be caravans of people coming through the doors, coming into our homes. The beacon of light, of freedom. Maybe they question that freedom. So, First of all, Christian freedom is not a freedom to indulge in the flesh. That's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, Christian freedom is not freedom to indulge in the flesh. Look again at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another so we need to understand what flesh and love are in order for us to be able to operate within those parameters so what's the flesh well the flesh it's not just what your clothes are hanging on here it's not just your body that's part of it your flesh is your fallen humanness your fallen humanness it is your unredeemed human identity. It is your earthly, mortal, dying, decaying, physical body. But it is your humanness twisted into with self-centeredness and proneness to sin and, and, and personal desires over godly desires. It is the enemy operator that was the enemy of God when Scripture says that even though while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. It's that. That's the flesh. It's that desire. It's that housing. Paul talks about it all through Scripture. He's so consistent about it. But let me just give you sort of that quick explanation. We, we, we just read Romans chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. 
So when you were saved, your inner man was recreated. So your flesh and your inner person were matching. They were both desperately wicked and burning and and destined to burn. When you came to Christ, old things were passed away, and behold, all things became what? New. So the inner person changed. What are we still wrapped in? Ourself. Let me give you sort of the idea here. At glorification, it becomes whole, right? We're completely redeemed. When God looks on us, He looks at the inner man, and we are completely saved. You die right now, and you know Jesus as your Savior, and you are a redeemed soul. All that flesh that you're wrapped in is gone. You're not accountable to that. Jesus died for you. The old is dead. The old man died. You were risen to walk in life with God. He dwells in you. He possesses you. He owns you. You're incorruptible. You have a divine nature. Inner man. The deepest, truest part of the redeemed inner man is totally transformed and linked to Jesus eternally. That is so wonderful. And that is good news. And that is what we cling to it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Amen, Sister Rachel? You have to remind yourself that the outer shell isn't matching the inner shell. And you have to let the inner shell, right? You have to let the inner person, the new man, walk. So Paul is saying the old self is dead, the new self lives. But it, and we're, we're connected to Christ. We don't know where, he, where we end and He begins on the inner. Let me explain. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15-17. through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Nor do you not know that He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The deepest, truest part of you is redeemed and fit for heaven. It is holy and acceptable to God. It is a new creation. The problem with that, with you and with me, is that the new and redeemed part of us, that transformed part of us, which is made like Christ, conjoined to Him for eternity, seeks righteousness, desires right, loves the law, loves purity, loves holiness, seeks to do what is right. We are incarcerated in a fleshly shell on this earth. We are imprisoned in humanness, as to say. John Piper would say, we are imprisoned in our humanness. Your problem is going to exist because your new self delights in the law, Romans chapter 7, and your old self delights in itself. And that is the constant battle. Paul is so absolutely consistent. Every time he talks about this, he always puts sin in the flesh. It's not the new creation that is sinning. It is the flesh. So, 
We're all waiting for Romans chapter 8. Amen? The redemption of what? Your body. Romans chapter 8, the redemption of your body. We have a spirit like His, and at glorification, we will have a perfect body like His. But in the meantime, we have a battle to rage. And, 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 and Paul goes into even more depth after this section of text in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to touch it just at the end about living in the Spirit and this constant battle that Paul describes between the flesh and the Spirit. But going back to our first point, freedom in Christ is not a liberty to do whatever you want to do. That is not what it is. That is actually an abuse of freedom. That is an abuse of your freedom. It's actually the kind of abuse that the false prophets were talked about in 2 Peter. They were guilty of preaching this abuse of freedom. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18-19, through 19, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Now those of you that uh, were in the final uh, few sermons at the well, you remember that final series we talked about passions and following passions and what are godly passions and they are God-given passions and we warp them in the flesh. He says, these sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We use good Christian terminology to to describe this exact same thing. We say, I'm struggling with this. This is what we say. What we're really saying is we're chained to this thing. We're enslaved to it. And it owns us. That's what we're saying. We like to say it pretty. We like to share with each other that we're struggling with something. But what we're actually saying is, I'm a slave to this particular sin. Or I'm a slave to this particular mindset. And he says, you're enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Freedom should not lead to corruption. If you take nothing else away today, freedom should not lead to corruption. It is given by, uh, to us by the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God, that our freedom is actually also controlled by the fact that it does not allow us to indulge the flesh. It is not a freedom to do what we want. It is a freedom not to do your own thing. Christian freedom, listen to this, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not to sin. The supreme ambition of Christ was to please the Father. What did He say? Not my will, but Thine be done. It is freedom to do what is right. Because we are given the power to do what is right. Before, we were incapable of doing right. The old man matched the flesh and we were incapable of doing what was right. And now we have the ability and the desire deep inside because of that redeemed inner self. So for the first time in your life, when you became a Christian, you actually had the capacity to do what was right 
what was good, what was true, what was eternal, what was honest. And so it isn't for you now, under this freedom, to relinquish that and go back to living the same way. So first, Paul says, Christian freedom is not to indulge the flesh. It is not to do whatever we want. Number two, there's a second controlling factor here. Christian freedom does not mean that we are free to indulge the flesh, one. And secondly, it does not mean that we are free to injure others with our freedom. So there's this idea that our freedom means that we can do whatever we want, no matter how it affects other people. We see that in our society. We see that in our, in our, uh, in our, in our private culture, in our, in our, in our uh, physical culture, we see that. The abuse of freedom is a slow burn. It is a gradual degradation. The massive, overpowering abuses of freedom, we, we, people see them right away. They're on it right away, correct? If, if someone was to walk into the New York Post right now and round up all the reporters and take them to jail, we would all scream, that's a First Amendment right, a violation. It's a violation of freedom. It's a blatant, over-the-top violation. Abuse of freedom is a slow burn. Our society thinks that freedom in America means freedom and we'll, we'll go in a particular category. It all started with the freedom of being sexually expressive. Cover your kids' ears. It started with just saying, all right, hey, it, it, we know we have a lot of people just living together and they're not really married and we're just, we're just they have the freedom to do that. It's okay, just let that, it's just don't get all in a bunch about that. Just slowly allow that. The next thing that sweeps in behind that. What's the next thing that sweeps in behind that? Well, we don't have to necessarily stay within the same gender. If that's what they want, they have the right and the freedom to do that. So we slowly begin to no longer call out heterosexual immorality. Now we move on to homosexual immorality. They have the freedom to do what they want. They have the freedom. Under freedom, we begin to see things degrade slowly. Then it jumps out of that category completely. Now you have the freedom to change your gender. Now you have the freedom to change your race. Now you have the, all of these slow burn degradations and they jump out of categories and affect other categories when freedoms are abused we've morphed into gender gender changes and so we've come to a place physically in our society where we see that slow burn coming but have we caught on to it in the church have we recognized the slow burn in the church have we recognized it in ourselves that abuse of freedom has found its way into the church. And here, Paul is saying, it can't hurt others. Your freedom should not hurt others. We've come to a place where we think we're God. We're the monarch of our little world. We get to make the decisions of those things. 
all under the guise of freedom, all under the tag of freedom. That abuse of freedom, as I said, has found its way into the church, where people in the church are more concerned about themselves than they are about others. It's a slow burn. Now we see the church riddled with false doctrine, unbiblical teaching. You can actually go to some quote-unquote churches and never hear a scripture verse shared in a sermon. It's one of the joys when I first experienced uh, being a new member and a new attender here at Rockfish. Uh, Aiden would keep these little sheets that Kelly printed off for him and there's these little check boxes. How many times you hear the word Jesus and God and Bible and and he'd listen to the sermon. He'd put a little check box in. Some, some Sundays he's doing that. I added a box because there wasn't one on there. This even shows you the slow burn. Uh, off of a Christian website, the box for sin was not even printed on there. So I added a box and put sin. Make sure you mark how many times you, you heard the word sin in a sermon. And after Sunday service one Sunday, we look at his sheet and he says, Dad, look, Jesus beat sin. <laughs> He, had, he said Jesus way more than he said sin. I said, son, Jesus always wins sin. But look how many times he said sin. Jesus got a lot of work to do, didn't he? We see this slow burn, this slow degradation in the name of freedom when we think we can do whatever we want, we can indulge our flesh, and then we begin to our freedom begins to harm others. Because people won't talk about it from a pulpit how freedom abuse degradates God's church. God's people. Look at the end of verse 13. Revisit verse 13 with me. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And here it's this. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another all right i think we've established what the flesh is that word opportunity there it's actually a military term the 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 translation of it could actually be translated base of operation do not use your freedom as a base of operation for the flesh that's, that's, that's where, that's where the, the, the word finds its root. A base of operation. Paul's saying, do not use your freedom as a base of operations from which your flesh is activated. Because if you bite and devour, these are words bite is often referred to bites like snake bites. We all know what the snake represents, amen? The devour means to gulp up. In a thirstful way. That's crazy to gulp something up in a thirstful way. But if you bite people like a poisonous snake and you devour people like a glutton, you better take heed because you yourself will be consumed. Our violation and abuse of our freedom ultimately hurts us too. Of course, it creates a wave of destruction in its path. Your freedom is to serve people. This is our freedom. Our freedom. We are free to now serve and love one another. Before, the old man 
was incapable of it. We might see moments of it. I had a conversation with someone one time. I said, all of the political systems, capitalism included, none of them are fully effective. Because man is fully depraved. That's why socialism doesn't work, capitalism doesn't work. None of that works. Why? Because man is totally depraved. But there is a perfect system that God has created. And what do we do when that perfect system is presented? They bite and devour it. What do you mean Jesus is the only way? That seems uninclusive. That doesn't, that doesn't open the doors up to everyone. Sure it does. The question isn't why is Jesus the only way? The question is why is there a way at all? Because of God's love for us. And then he says, I'm going to give you the freedom to serve one another and love one another. I'm actually giving you the freedom to be like me. Because you've been wanting to be like me all your life. You've been wanting to be your own God. Now I'm giving you the opportunity to actually function in love just like me. I'm giving you that freedom. I'm free in Christ not to do whatever I want but to take care of others and to love one another. Now, time is rapidly passing, so I'm going to visit Romans 14 very quickly. Uh, you revisit it this evening. Romans chapter 14. Go in, revisit it this evening or, or this week when you're reviewing the message, if that's what you do. And I think you can get an insight into what Paul is talking about when it means that his freedoms is, are hurting someone else. Okay? So, quickly. If you're a Gentile, you just became a Christian. Uh, I'm sorry, if you're, if you're a Jew and you just became a Christian and you have Isaiah over for dinner and he brings the best smoked barbecue you've ever had in your life and he throws it out on the table and he's like, we are free in Christ, my Jewish brother. Eat all the pork you can eat. You're actually taking your freedom and hurting that person. Because they're not ready to understand that level of freedom in Christ just yet. Even relating to today, we take a lot of freedoms in Christ. If I force the freedoms that I'm experiencing in a holy way onto someone who maybe isn't in the same spot to receive that, I'm actually hurting them. What I think I'm doing, I'm righteous and I'm freeing you in Christ. Drink that beer. Eat that pork. Go ahead and smoke a cigar on the course. It's not going to kill you. We have freedom in Christ. We're taking advantage of our freedom and it is hurting others. We're setting someone back in their Christian growth when we think we're trying to encourage them in it. So a mature Christian understands their freedom in Christ, understands, sits down with, and sees and analyzes and explains, and also has latitude that your freedom won't look exactly the same as someone else's. It goes the same for prohibitions. 
prohibitions can be an, a violation of the freedom in Christ. Absolutely no this. Absolutely no that. There's at least eight people in my life, if I was absolutely no beer, they wouldn't know Jesus, or at least they wouldn't know him through me. Because I met him in a bar. Prohibitions that are unjust and unright can also be a violation of freedoms and an abuse of freedom that leads to destruction. So we have to be careful with our prohibitions. We have to be careful with our looseness of our freedoms of Christ. So the last point wraps all of this up. Here's your bow on the gift. If we go ahead and do whatever we want, we violate the Word of God. Freedom in Christ, thirdly. And this final one, Paul really drives home. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to ignore the law of God. It's not freedom to ignore the law of God. Some people think that when it says in the Bible that we're free from the law, some people think that being free from the law means that we're no longer responsible we, we, to the law. We're under grace. We can do whatever we want. God's going to forgive us. God's going to forgive you. That's truth. But nothing could be further from the truth than that mindset. It's absolutely it has nothing to do with ignoring the law. We're actually giving, we're given freedom from the law to follow the law. What do I mean by that? It means that we're free from trying to earn our salvation based on the law. We just read about it. We just, we just read about it. We just sang about it. We just did our catechism question about it. You can't keep the law for salvation. You can for maturation. You now are free to read God's Word and gain from it. God's Word is no longer, an ant is no longer anti it's welcomed. God's law is no longer something that damns us to, to a, 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 a separate existence from God for eternity. It bonds us to Him because He fulfilled the law for us. We're now free to follow the law and God's design for us without worrying about messing it up and falling short and being separated for eternity. Do you understand? That's the freedom. Not freedom to do wrong. Not freedom to do what we want. Being free from the law doesn't mean that we're free of following it. It doesn't mean that the law was bad and Jesus had to come in and fix it. We die in Christ to rise and walk in the newness of life. What is the best life possible? One that is holy. So we became holy and acceptable 
to God through Christ, and now we have the freedom to be holy and acceptable. And we have the ability to not be perfect in it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's consequences. Revisit Romans chapter 6. We're free from the penalty of the law. We're free from trying to keep the law unsuccessfully and therefore being ultimately killed by the law. But we die in Christ and we rise to walk in the newness of life. And then we will rise with Him again. In a, in a resurrection that is so longed for. That's what freedom is. It's not freedom from doing right. It's the freedom to do what is right. It is the freedom to obey the law even with our inability to keep it perfectly. When you put your faith in Christ, you're free from the endless human struggle of achievement to try and constantly please God. Because God has already been pleased in His Son on your behalf. But now you're free from that. You are free from the condemnation. The morals haven't changed. The ethics haven't changed. But you're free from the penalty. Because ultimately the law is what was best for us. So it's not freedom to ignore God's law. The law is fulfilled. And we read it today in Leviticus chapter 19. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love is the fulfilling of the whole law. Get that. Love is the fulfilling of the whole law. That's the point. If you have true love towards God and true love towards everyone else, self-sacrificial true love, the love of God in the soul of man, then you're going to fulfill the law. It is your inner desire in the inner man, the new man, the new creature, that drives that and battles through the fleshly incarceration. So what God is calling us to then is freedom that is not freedom from doing right, but freedom to do right. You say, how can that be done? I'm glad you asked. Because we'll leave you with a cliffhanger at the end. Paul goes on in chapter 5, and here's your homework assignment. Read the rest of Galatians chapter 5. Because he starts, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. To do what? To keep you doing the things, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and leads the charge. Watch the old Civil War, Revolutionary War battle, and the, the guy pulls the sword out, and he goes, let's go! That's a very basic 
sort of vision that I have of the Holy Spirit as he's like, let's go. The problem is we all stand there and go, man, I don't want to. I don't want to forgive her. I don't want to call him and apologize. I want to make more money in that deal than what's honest to do. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Before you were a Christian, the laws were all there was for you to follow in order for you to have righteousness, and Jesus fulfilled that for you. So now, Christian, we have freedom to obey the law. We have freedom to love one another. We have freedom to fight against the flesh. You were a slave to sin. Be a slave no more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the challenge that you presented even to me in my own study of your word, Lord, as you challenged me that my freedom was hurting others. Lord, I pray that our church body will be renewed and refreshed, that we will view our freedoms, that we will, we will even hunt down our abuses of it. We will encourage one another in the same. And we will be free to walk in the glory and beauty of your law. We love you and it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.